you and we honor you. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Montana. Hallelujah. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm excited to be able to share with you, so I'm going to have to kind of ease into this. <laughs> Amen. Man, I tell you, the Lord is good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Just right there, let's just begin to, to just connect. I know we have in worship, but let's just shift our mindset to being open to receive from the Lord this morning. Father God, we just thank you. Oh, we thank you, Lord, that as your word comes forth, it's life to us. It's light to us. That it causes us to be able to perceive the finished work of Jesus so that by faith we can appropriate that in our lives and that we can be conformed to the image of your son in this earth. That we can be free-flowing channels of heaven into this earth, Lord. That we can be available to you to use. Thank you, Lord, that the church is the body of Christ on earth. That we are the hands, the feet, the heart of Jesus on the earth. We just give you praise, Lord. Remind us. Renew us. Renew our minds to the reality of who we are in Christ through his finished work so that we can function as the new creation people that you have made us to be. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you in this place. We thank you for your ministry, that you're the teacher. That as I speak the word, that you speak to the hearts of people. Bring understanding and revelation to them so that they can apply these truths to their lives. We thank you for it, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm going to be continuing the series Pastor kicked off last week talking about being cross-eyed. In other words, having a, a clear and concise perspective in regard to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 3. Hallelujah. Like I said, I'm going to kind of take my time at first. You know me, I will shift over from this, <laughs> but I do want to take my time, kind of lay out a couple of principles so that we can, you know, Jesus said that if you continue in my word, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Truth alone doesn't make you free. It's the truth that you know that makes you free. And so we need some cerebral Christianity along with spirituality because it's the understanding of eternal truths that allow us to operate in eternal life. It's the understanding of the, the eternal truths of the finished work of Jesus that allow us to be able to be partakers of and participants in eternal life. And you know, Jesus didn't just come to provide us uh, a ticket to heaven, but he came to provide us his life. He came to change our experience and our expression 
in the earth. I'm going to say that again. He came to not only change our experience, but our expression in the earth. We were created to be sons made in the image and the likeness of God. Not just so that we could say, oh, I'm made in the image and likeness of God, but so that we could project that and that we could cause other people to experience that through our lives. Amen? Hallelujah. So in Galatians chapter 3, just start out and read this first verse to you in the New King James Version. And it says, oh, foolish, oh, my bad. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. Now in the New King James, that's not as clear as I would like it to be. So let me read this in the Passion Translation. It says, what has happened to you, Galatians, to be acting so foolishly? You must have been under some evil spell. Didn't God open your eyes to see the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion? Wasn't he revealed to you as the crucified one? Listen, if you know anything about the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians is a book of correction. And it's the most extreme correction that the Apostle Paul gave to any church in his, all of his letters. And, you know, Pastor mentioned it last week. Corinth was involved in all kinds of carnal and ungodly and immoral activity. Yet the Apostle Paul didn't correct them as harshly as he did the Galatians. Because they were involved in something much more deceptive and much more dangerous. Which is a counterfeit of the real meaning of Jesus' crucifixion. They were involved in something that has been termed as legalism. It's more deceptive than sin. Sin's obvious. But legalism gives you the uh, appearance that you're operating right when actually you're operating opposite of the way that you were created to function as a believer in Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul said, wasn't Jesus' crucifixion made plain to you? Didn't God open your eyes to see it? You know, here's the thing. He's not talking about these eyes. Because these people, you know, in the region of Galatia, they weren't there to see Jesus' physical body. They weren't there physically to see him hung up on the cross, to watch him crucified, be crucified and die. But Paul had so thoroughly preached and unveiled the meaning of the crucifixion of Jesus that they were able to perceive that with their hearts. That's the eyes that he was talking about. He said, didn't I preach the completeness of the finished work of Jesus on the cross so clearly and so concisely that you were able to see it with your heart and perceive the depth of the meaning of what that accomplished for you in your life? And the reason they had fallen into legalism was because they had, uh, they had allowed the meaning of the cross to be obscured from their sight. They were no longer focused on the finished work of Jesus and what he accomplished in his crucifixion. They had begun to have their vision diverted to something else. 
And their faith no longer lied in what Jesus had done for them. But legalism had tricked them into beginning to put their faith in what they were doing for Jesus. Or what they perceived that they were doing for Jesus. And I submit to you this morning that if not all of us, most of us have have or are deceived by some degree of legalism in our life. Because listen, legalism has been preached uh, far and wide, especially in the West. Mm. And if we're going to be able to uh, live in and partake of what Jesus died for us to have, we are going to have to purge legalism from our lives. You know, I don't want to get uh, ahead of myself, but Paul goes on to compare legalism uh, to leaven. What do you do with leaven? Leaven, you take a small amount of it, you put it in dough, and it it permeates the entire dough. What does that tell me? It tells me that if you have a little, if you allow a little legalism into your belief system, before long it'll permeate your entire belief system and you'll become a legalist. Oh my goodness. And you know, he goes on and talks about um, an analogy of Abraham's two sons. One was Isaac, who was the son of promise. But before he had Isaac, he had Ishmael. And he wasn't the son of promise. He was the son of performance. He was the son that Abraham tried to bring about by his own works. Isaac was the son he waited for and God provided by way of his promise. And he says those are the two covenants. The old covenant is about performance. The new covenant is all about promise. And the good thing about the new covenant is we're not waiting on promises to be fulfilled. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We have to realize that Jesus fulfilled, or let me say this, every promise of God is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and in his finished work. And legalism, what it does is it gets our eyes off of what Jesus finished and gets us focused on trying to finish what we perceive he hasn't made complete for us. Let me come back up here. They had lost their perspective of the finished work of Jesus and it caused them to fall into legalism. Let me read you this definition of legalism that I have here that I wrote down, if I can find it. Legalism is to attempt to either attain or maintain righteousness by your own performance of God's law or some law of your own making. Uh Uh-oh. Legalism is to try to either attain or maintain righteousness with God based on your performance of either God's law or a law of your own making. And listen, we've made a lot of laws of our own. And what's really foolish about that is if God's law can't make you righteous, how in the world would a law of your own making make you righteous? We are not as believers to relate to God on the basis of our performance. We relate to God 
on the basis of the performance of Jesus Christ, which was perfect and complete. And we simply by faith begin to partake of what he did and it transforms and changes the direction of our life. It changes what we believe first, which changes the way that we perceive ourselves to be, which changes how we behave. It changes first what we believe, which changes how we perceive ourselves to be, and that's what changes how we behave. Legalism's backwards. It deals with how you behave and believes that if you can change the way you behave, it changes how you are. Oh, come on. I'll just say this. Legalism is a construct of the devil. The law was never given to save anybody. The law was given to show us the depth of our depravity and inability to save ourselves. So that when Christ came on the scene, it would be a schoolmaster that would lead us to Christ. The law should so cut the legs out from underneath us of believing we could ever produce the righteousness of God by our own performance, that we would, we saw the presentation of the gospel, we would run to the cross and we would fall before it in any condition that we're in because we know that it's not dependent on our works or our worth to be able to receive what Jesus did. In fact, we have to first understand that we have no worth and there is no work that we could ever do that could bring us into a relationship where we are reconciled to the Father and we are restored to the original intent of God was that we would be sons and daughters made in his image and in his likeness able to exercise the authority and the dominion of heaven on the earth. And legalism deceives you into believing that you can. It it deceives you first into believing that you have to. And then it deceives you into believing that you can. And when you know that you can't and you don't measure up, then you begin to compare yourselves with other people. And legalism doesn't compare you with God, it compares you with other people. And as long as I'm better than they are, then I think I'm okay. But listen, your neighbor, the person down the street, they are not your comparison. We are to compare ourselves to Jesus, the one in whose image we were created and who we were called to be conformed to. Anything less is deception. Anything less is deception. And that's what legalism does is it tricks us. It deceives us into believing that by our actions, we can produce some level of righteousness that puts us into right standing with God to where we can have a reconciled and restored relationship with him. But it is deception. As I said, let me show you something. This is a, uh, a um, illustration that the Lord gave me last week while pastor was preaching. Look at the screen there. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's called a stereogram. And it's something they used to call magic eye pictures. Do anybody remember those? <clears throat> when you first look at it, it just looks like a, sh- a picture, abstract colors, geometric shapes. And every now and then you'll notice a kind of an image of something in it. 
But what you don't realize is that the creator embedded within it a hidden revelation. There's actually a three-dimensional picture hidden within the picture. But the, the thing about it is, is that to see it requires looking at it a certain way. To be able to perceive what's hidden within You have to have a certain way that you look at it. But when you do, the image that's embedded within, let me say this, the mystery that's hidden within it begins to be revealed to you, begins to pop out to you to where you're able to perceive something that isn't perceived with the natural eye, but it becomes a revelation knowledge to you. I I declare to you that the gospel has within it a hidden revelation that you must look at the way that God prescribed for you to look at it. And when you do, there's a revelation, a mystery hidden within that begins to be made manifest to you to where you're able to see it. You can't see it right now, but if you were able to look at that in the correct way, what you would perceive eventually is that Jesus on the cross would begin to be made manifest to you. See, there's a lot of people who know that Jesus died on the cross, but they haven't ever had the revelation really made manifest to them in a way that you go, wow. And I believe that's why a lot of believers struggle with reading the word. And we can tell them, read the word, read the word, read the word. You got to read the word. You got to read the word. But legalism makes reading the word an obligation We were never meant to relate to God through obligation. Let me just say this. Jesus isn't demanding anything of you. He's inviting you into. He is inviting you into fellowship. My goodness, God himself made the decision that he created you for fellowship. And he desires fellowship with you. And he sent Jesus to redeem you to the place to where you could have fellowship with the God who was, who is, and is to come with God Almighty. My goodness, why would we? (laughs) The problem is we haven't come to the correct level of fascination with the gospel to where it has captivated our gaze and there's nothing else that we want to look at. Oh my goodness. We are supposed to be fascinated with the gospel. It's supposed to be the good news. It's supposed to be the most amazing news that nothing else diverts our attention from understanding what Jesus has done for us on the cross and the completeness of it and the perfectness of it. But most of us have been indoctrinated with religion, which is a burden. Jesus himself said that it was a yoke that causes you to be burdened down. But I'm telling you, when you begin to see Jesus through the correct preaching of the gospel of Christ, you become so fascinated with that that you don't want to look at anything else. You won't settle for anything less. I was meditating on that a week or two ago and thinking about how that we just have not had the correct fascination for him. Religion leads you to a principle. It leads you to laws and principles. The gospel leads you into relationship with a person. And he's the most magnificent, most wonderful, most awesome, most loving, most powerful, most kind, most patient, most endearing person who ever lived. He's the creator. He is love. 
The problem is religion has obscured our sight to where we don't see him correctly. So we're not fascinated with him. We just feel obligated to religion. And I was looking through some pictures and it's kind of a cheesy picture, I know. But Rhonda and I had gone to a restaurant one night and we shared a shake and we each had a straw. And we were drinking from it at the same time. So we were face to face. And, you know, we got kind of cheesy grins on our face. But as I looked at that picture, I realized something. Because presence in the Bible, there is no word in the Hebrew for presence. It's the word face. To be in the presence of God is to be face to face with God. And as I looked at that picture, I thought, man, we were just in, there was no obligation there. We were just in pure fascination, just staring at each other. And that's the way our relationship should be with God. But how many of us have fallen into this religious obligation stuff to where we have had the, the perception of, what, of who Jesus is obscured from our sight? to where we're just operating in a sense of obligation and we have no sense of fascination with the person. Mm -mm. Man, Lord help us. Lord help us. We're supposed to be, if we could actually ever see him as he truly is, you couldn't help but be fascinated. You know, when he was walking the earth, people were fascinated by his image. Those who looked right, who looked at him correctly, became fascinated with those eyes of grace, with those eyes of unconditional love. And so as you look at the stereogram, the way that you have to look at it to perceive the image hidden within you have to cross your eyes. <laughs> you, first of all, you can't be in a hurry. I don't know if you've ever looked at one of these, but you don't just look at it. You don't glance at it and see what's hidden within. It doesn't require a glance. It requires a gaze. Yes. You have to be willing to stand in front of it and gaze at it long enough Long enough for the revelation hidden within to become manifest to you. And you have to, they'll tell you to look at a stereogram and see the image. You have to cross your eyes. You have to be cross-eyed. And I'm telling you that anytime we get away from the cross being in clear sight, or I mean understanding the meaning of the cross then our guy, we no longer are cross-eyed and we begin to lose the image, the revelation that's hidden within, that is the source of life, that is the source of walking in and partaking of the divine nature. That's what Jesus gave us. Man, I just feel like, hmm, hallelujah. You gotta cross your eyes. You gotta live cross-eyed. You know, we taught last year on the tabernacle, tabernacle of Moses, which is uh, a physical representation of spiritual realities. 
And when you walk through the gate of the outer court, the first thing you're met with is the altar, which represents the cross. That's how we all come into the kingdom as we get the gospel preached and we get a revelation first of the cross. And that's the beginning. Outside of that gate is wilderness. Let me ask you something. Have you ever felt like in your Christian life, man, I'm out in the wilderness. <laughs> I'm out in the wilderness. I remember when we were teaching this, the Lord showed this to me. If you find yourself in a dry and desert place where you feel like you're out in the wilderness and you're far from God, how do you get back in? I was praying that and the Lord said, get a, get a new fresh revelation of the cross. It's the first dimension of salvation represented in the tabernacle. Man, it lit me up, man. I thought, okay, man, I got back into getting me a fresh revelation of the cross. And the reason why is because of what it reveals. And that's what I want to share with you this morning is I want to give you, just as we receive a three-dimensional picture, looking at the stereogram, I'm going to give you a three-dimensional revelation of the cross today. A three-dimensional revelation of the cross, which I believe will help you to perceive the depth of what Jesus provided through his death, burial, and resurrection. Because his cross changed everything. Montana said it earlier, the Old Testament pointed toward the cross. It pointed toward the, the uh, incarnation of Jesus, which was for the sole purpose of dying on the cross. His body, he took on flesh. God took on flesh so that he could provide a body of sacrifice on the altar of the cross so that his death could be the full payment for our sin. The only thing that ever separated us from God was sin. And he came and he dealt with that fully on the cross. The problem is we get our eyes off of that and we get our eyes on our own works and we begin to try to not, you know, most believers wouldn't, they don't have an issue with trying to attain righteousness through their works by legalism. Most of us understand that I'm not saved by my own works. <clears throat> but where a majority of believers are is they're trying to maintain their righteousness by their works. So whenever they are needing to receive healing or they're needing something from the Lord, they start examining themselves. Oh, man. <laughs> Listen. You need to examine what you believe about what are you trusting in. That's where the examination comes. But if you examine yourself, I'll tell you what you're going to arrive at the conclusion of is that you're not worthy to receive because you're not. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You may be a lot better than I am, but unless you're as righteous and holy in your actions as Jesus is, you're disqualified. <laughs> oh, man. So if you examine your own personal righteousness and personal holiness, you will arrive at the conclusion that you don't deserve and that you're disqualified. I'll just go ahead and just to help you out with that right now. I'll just tell you, you're already disqualified and you don't deserve it. 
where you need to examine is examine the sacrifice. Do you know when they brought a sacrifice to the tabernacle, they brought their lamb to the high priest. He examined not the person bringing the sacrifice. He examined the sacrifice to see if it was sufficient, to see if it was pure and without spot and without blemish. And listen, if we would quit coming to God and examining ourselves, and we would begin to examine the Lamb of God who is the pure and the spotless and the perfect sacrifice for our sin, we would come to the conclusion that there is nothing that God has that is being withheld from us that we receive simply by believing and confessing the name of Jesus Christ. Legalism gets you examining yourself. I'm telling you, they sacrificed millions of lambs over a couple thousand years and not one time Did they ever examine the person bringing the lamb? (laughs) My goodness. We're so messed up. The devil has really done a job on the church. We just spend our time beholding who we are in the flesh. Arriving at what we believe ourselves to be based on the flesh. Oh my goodness. The very, the very fact that the person was bringing the lamb declared that that person was in need of cleansing of sin. They never looked at the person. Just the fact that they were standing there with a lamb said, I'm a sinner in needing, in need of purification. Oh my goodness. But they would examine that lamb. They looked him all over, no spot, no blemish. They looked in the mouth. They looked it all over to make sure that it was a, an acceptable sacrifice. I'm telling you what, Jesus Christ was the lamb of God. John the Baptist said it, who takes away the sin of the world. See, under the old covenant, their sins were covered because the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. It would just cover until another time. But I'm telling you, when Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, offered himself on the cross, he was the pure and perfect sacrifice that covered, not covered, but removed the sin of mankind from the beginning to the end. As David said, as far as the east is from the west, David prophetically looked ahead and saw Jesus like this on the cross. And he said that he covered sin as far as the east is from the west, from eternity past to eternity future, the blood of Christ purged and perfected all of those who come to God through him. Man, hallelujah. Examine the lamb of God. That's what we're supposed to do. Come together, examine the lamb. Glory. Man, I just feel a, wow, I just feel a heavy weight of the glory of God right now. I believe he's bearing witness to people. Let me show you a couple more things. 
Look at Romans chapter 10. You say, you ain't going to get off that yet? Not quite yet. Not quite yet. Because we've had years and years and years of legalism received into our hearts. You know, 10 minutes isn't going to purge it out. <laughs> Look at this in Romans chapter 10. Now, the Apostle Paul is talking about his love for the people of Israel. And, you know, God used the fact that Israel rejected the Messiah. They rejected the gospel. They rejected his sacrifice on the cross and wanted to go on in the old system of giving lambs and sacrificing in the temple and using the law to try and make themselves righteous. And the Apostle Paul, being an Israelite himself, he said, My beloved brothers and sisters, now this is the Passion Translation. Sorry about that. The passionate desire of my heart, constant prayer to God is for my fellow Israelites to experience salvation. For I know that although they're deeply devoted to God, they're unenlightened. Listen, you can be deeply devoted to God and do it in a state of unenlightenment. Oh my goodness. I'm going to let that just sit there for a minute. There are a lot of people who have been deeply devoted to God, but even in their devotion, they're unenlightened to the truth. And their devotion turns to obligation. And their obligation ends up in legalism. Look at this. And since they've ignored the righteousness that God gives, wanting instead to be acceptable to God because of their own works, they've refused to submit to God's faith righteousness. Let me just say, it says here, and this is perfect. This is why I wanted to share this. They've ignored the righteousness of God, wanting instead to be acceptable to God because of their own works. Think about this. They knew the gospel. They, by choice, ignored the righteousness God was offering to them, desiring instead to go about trying to make themselves acceptable to God by their own works. Think about this. My question is, why? (laughs) Think about why in the world? Because these people were unenlightened to the truth, but they did understand what was being offered and they rejected it. Oh my goodness. Why would anybody reject the perfect righteousness that God gives by faith to go about bearing the burden of their salvation themselves? And trying to produce their own righteousness by their works and by their performance of law. Why? Why would anybody do that? You got to be under demonic deception. Uh oh. You got to be under demonic deception. Listen, the Israelites, they rejected the gospel. By the influence of demonic deception. 
Paul said that if the rulers of this world, talking about the principalities and powers, had known, they would never have stirred up the Israelites to crucify the Lord of glory. Demonic deception. And I'm talking about the spirit of religion. Oh my goodness. I'll tell you what, Derek Prince, one of the most renowned uh, teachers on demonic influence of the past century, uh, he said that the worst spirits you'll ever deal with are religious spirits. Why? Why would anybody do that? Let me see how to say this. Because religion feeds the pride of man. Men love to do something. Oh my goodness. I'll tell you what, some of the the meanest people you'll ever run into are religious people. And when I say religion, I include religious Christianity with Buddhism, Islam, every other religion of the world. Don't take Christianity as a whole out and and remove it from them because there is an aspect of Christianity that is anti-Christ. There is an aspect of Christianity that is anti-Christ and is rooted in the spirit of religion. And you know how you can tell? Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit because a person who's under the influence of the Holy Spirit will produce love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's how you'll know. You'll know them by their fruit, not by their words, by their fruit. They... Oh. Mm, Man, I feel this right now. They've refused to submit to. Why? Why would anybody want to do that? Because religion, if, if, listen, if I know I can't earn anything, where am I going to get my attaboys? Where am I going to get my pats on the back? Where am I going to find my affirmation and my accolades if you take away my religion? And because I got to, I got to humble myself to receive the gospel. A lot of people think it's the other way around. No, when you come to the place where you say, there is nothing I could ever do to be able to produce the righteousness of God. Without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I am depraved. Without him, I am helpless. I'm in a deficit. There's nothing. There's nothing, there is no holiness or righteousness of my own that I can produce and present to God as a way to please him. I'm reminded of when Jesus talked about it and he gave these stories for a purpose. He talked about the Pharisee and he talked about the other man who both went to the temple. And the Pharisee, man, this is the legalist. He said, God, (laughs) I thank you that I am not like this man. 
for I pay tithe of, I pay my tithes. I come regularly to the temple to pray. You know, in their piety. They're filled with themselves. It's the spirit of religion. But the tax collector, he wouldn't even look up at God, toward God, toward heaven. He beat his chest and he said this. He said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Humility. You see the difference? The reason they didn't want to submit to God's faith righteousness is because that would make him like everybody else. (laughs) Oh my goodness. We are like everybody else. Just because you accepted Jesus don't make you any better than anybody else. As far as your actions go, we've been full of ourselves, filled with pride, comparing ourselves among ourselves. And Paul said, that's not wise. (sighs) Sorry. You know, uh, we compare ourselves to Jesus. Let me move on here. Read this last verse. For Christ, for the Christ is the end of the law. I like the New King James in this. It says he is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ fulfilled the law on our behalf, both by keeping it perfectly and being the sacrifice that it represented He fulfilled the entire law. And by faith, we receive the benefit of what he fulfilled. That means the righteousness of the law is not just, is not fulfilled by me. It's it's fulfilled in me. That's Romans chapter eight. Let me go on here. And because of him, God has transferred his perfect righteousness to all who believe. And I love that. You know what? I am perfectly righteous. I can say that without any reservation. I am perfectly righteous. You're looking at a person who's perfectly righteous. You say, well, I know that you're not perfect. You're right. But I'm perfectly righteous. I'm not talking about in your side. I'm talking about in his side. I don't care about... (laughs) I'm trying to please him. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. I'm perfectly righteous. Here's the good news of the gospel. That because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, everybody who puts their faith in his sacrifice is made perfectly righteous. In fact, you are given the righteousness of God. So I'll say this. I'm as righteous as Jesus I I see some of y'all choking on that. It's all right. I'm going to give you something to help wash it down. (laughs) I'm as righteous as Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is my righteousness. If you can't say that, it's because you don't know that he's your righteousness. Have a fresh look at the cross. See it correctly. Gaze upon the mystery that's hidden within. 
Behold the cross until the revelation begins to be made manifest to you. And you're able to say, I'm as righteous as Jesus is. Because I'll tell you what, when you come to that conclusion, there's nothing. I said, there's nothing that you could ever need that you will ever struggle with believing that God has already granted to you. I didn't have this verse in my uh, notes, but let me share, share this with you. Romans 8 and 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Listen, if God didn't spare the greatest gift that he ever had, which was the gift of his son, how could you ever believe that he would withhold any good thing from you? How could you ever believe? The only way you could is if you're basing it on you instead of basing it on him. If you're basing it on your own personal holiness or personal righteousness to receive anything from God, That's the only way that what God has, all the good gifts that he has, can be withheld from you. Satan can't stop you now that you're a believer. He can only divert your perception to where you're looking at yourself rather than looking at Jesus and his finished work. You know, I'm off of my notes. (laughs) That's good, though. I think this is better. You know, every person in the Old Testament that got healed was a sinner. So how come on this side of the cross, people who have received Jesus become a son, who have been redeemed, who have been saved, who've been filled with the Holy Spirit. How come now suddenly we feel like we got to qualify ourselves to be healed? When every person in the Old Testament that ever received healing from God was a sinner. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Man, no one ever qualified. You don't qualify. I don't qualify. Problem is we're trying to qualify ourselves for things that already belong to us. We got to renew our mind. We got to be reminded of the truth. The gospel is the truth. See, whatever you believe about yourself that isn't, Uh, in harmony with or agreement with what God has declared about you because of the work of the cross is deception. And I'll say this, any preaching that, uh, that communicates distance or deficit in regard to your relationship with God is deception. There is no distance. There is no deficit. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. I think he meant it's finished. (laughs) But you know, here's what happened when he said it is finished. The veil in the temple, which, which was representative of his body, according to the book of Hebrews, was rent in two. It was the only thing. It was the symbol of separation between God and man. Its purpose was to show men they were separated from God because of sin. 
But when the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that was the fulfillment of every Old Testament sacrifice was given on the cross and he said, it is finished. The veil in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, symbolizing that it wasn't man who makes his way into the presence of God, but that it's God who provided the way into the presence of God. And the Holy of Holies, which is the room that was cordoned off by that veil, was the place where the Bible says the priest, the high priest, one time a year would come face to face with God. You can't get any closer than that. (laughs) Well, we have received by faith, not works, a perfect righteousness that gives us the ability to boldly come to the holiest place. That means, listen, it's not a physical room, guys. It's a relationship. I am am perfectly righteous so that no matter what the condition of my life is, I can have boldness to come to -to face-to-face encounter with God. He has transferred his perfect righteousness to all who believe. That's it, belief. We've made it about behaving. And the gospel is about believing. Now listen, behaving is the result of believing. In fact, I'll tell you this, you behave exactly the way you believe. So here's the deal, because the Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your outer life is a representation of what you believe about yourself. No ifs, ands, or buts. You can argue all you want about it, but it's not going to do any good because I already got the word on it. My life, my outward life is a representation of what I believe about myself. Which is why the enemy wants to obscure your view of the revelation of the cross. Because if you believe that you're perverted, you'll act perverted. If you believe you're immoral, you'll act immoral. If you believe you're in a deficit where you're going to go about trying to manipulate people in situations to get an upper hand. Whatever you believe about yourself, your outer life is a representation of that. So what's the devil do? Gets us busy working our, our behavior and we never change what we believe. Yeah. And so you can, some people are, uh, some people have the ability to act like something they're not for longer <laughs> than other people. Some people are better actors than other. You got a whole West Coast of people who can act like something they're not. That's a problem with religion. What's everybody say? They're hypocrites. Yeah, absolutely. That just means you're trying to be something you know you're not or you don't believe yourself to be. Jesus went to the heart, to the root. The gospel focuses our attention on the revelation hidden within that begins to manifest to us. And as we come into agreement with that, 
organically our outer life begins to change. Not by self-effort. Not by self-effort. By the work of the Spirit operating through what we believe. Man, I have never said that before. That was awesome. I'm glad we got that on video. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. And there's so much more I want to. Let me give you this, and I'm going to have to start to close. The good thing is I got plenty of notes for next time. But I told you I was going to give you a three-dimensional revelation of the cross. I'm going to give that to you. First dimension, Christ died for us. Now, this is going to, you're going to go, man, I've heard this before. That's simple. I know you've heard it, but have you heard it? That's our problem in Christianity, especially here in the West. We hear things, and because we have it intellectually, we think we have it. The truth isn't intellectual, it's experiential. Biblical truth. You don't have something until it's working in your life. We've deceived ourselves. So it's, he died for us. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, uh, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, there's a lot there, man. You need to first understand the first revelation of the cross is the love of God. I'm telling you, here's most people trip over this, the first dimension. Well, whenever we're struggling and going through things, we question the love of God. Why? Because we're basing his love for us on our circumstances. And we're trying to determine or interpret God's love based on what's going on in our life. But the love of God was demonstrated for us in that while, here's the thing, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now you need to go on and read nine and 10 because that is not the only, that's not the main revelation he's getting there. The revelation he's using that to, to get to is that now that we've received Jesus, much more. Oh my goodness. Listen, if he loved us enough when we were sinners to send his son to die for us, much more now. (laughs) Oh, come on now. Christ died for us. God didn't withhold his only son. In fact, before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. The revelation of the love of God. In this is love, 1 John chapter 4. Not that we loved God. So yes, here's, here's where people, they, they base it on their love for God. As if God loves us proportional to our love for him. That's what legalism will tell you. You better love God or he's not going to love you. That's legalism. There's a lot of believers who believe that. No, our love for God is a response to the revelation of his love for us. You can only love God to the degree that you understand his love for you. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he first, 
come on now, loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means satisfaction. God is satisfied by your belief in Jesus. Why? Because if you will believe, then it'll change the way that you behave. He knows that. Listen, the gospel is compelling people to believe on the finished work of Jesus, to receive the love of God, to receive the power of God. What is the cross? What is preaching the cross? The power of God and the wisdom of God. It's foolishness to men. It's offensive to the religious. You preach the cross to legalists, they're going to get offended by it. The legalists in Israel wanted to kill every person preaching the pure message of the gospel. Why? Because it cut the legs out of their religious pride. And the spirit of religion rose up in them and said, I don't like that. Because that puts me on the same level as the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the drunks and the addicts. Come on now. Goodness. Oh my goodness. That's why it's offensive to religious people. You mean they get the same thing I get? Right. Come on. Oh man, I've been going to church for 20 years. I read my Bible every day. I don't enjoy it, but I do it. I go to church every time the doors open. I'd rather stay home and watch football. Come on. That's a revelation of our heart condition. We're not fascinated with Jesus. We're obligated to Jesus. Come on. We got to change. Man, I remember the story Jesus told about the people who were hired to go work in the field. You know, there were some who came first thing in the morning. They worked 12 hours. And every hour he hired more people. Up until the last hour of the day. And you know what happened? At the end of the day, he went to pay them. And they all got the same. And the ones who worked 12 hours, you know, they said, what do you mean? We worked all day in the heat. We bore the, bore the burden of all the work all day long. And you're going to give these people the same thing that we got? He said, didn't, I, didn't you agree to what we decided upon? That's religion. That's the spirit of religion. That's what Jesus was preaching against in all of his teachings. What do you mean? Somebody else got at the head of the line? I think I've earned that place. That stinks. (laughs) I'm taking my whooping right along with you. I've had it. I mean... Amen or oh my. I mean, do we want to, we want the truth or not? Amen. I mean, if the shoe don't fit, don't put it on. But if it does, wear that sucker. Because <laughs> it'll help you walk right. <laughs> oh, man. Man, man. That's why we see people that are struggling to get healed. And then you go to somebody who has no relationship with God whatsoever and they receive a miracle. We're like, 
Pastor said last week, those things, those gifts of the spirit are targeted to the lost. Why? Because they don't have a covenant with God. We have a covenant with God based on the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That means we have access freely to everything that he has and who he is. We've been made partakers of the divine nature. We have, a, we have a covenant with God. It all belongs to us already. <laughs> it all belongs to us already. But the fact that we're involved in legalistic uh, principles proves that we don't know what belongs to us. We receive the kingdom of God by way of inheritance, not by way of earning. You don't receive an inheritance by earning. Now listen, in the natural, people cut you out of their wills. You think, oh, well, I'll get cut out of the will if they don't like. God ain't like that. He ain't like that. In fact, we've already received our inheritance. Religion puts, it's the carrot on the stick. That you chase after, you never get a hold of it. Remember that? It was an all-state commercial. The guy had, he's like, almost. <laughs> had that money on the end of the fishing rod holding down there. They reached for it and he pulls it back. Almost. That's religion. You'll never get it. You'll never get it. We've already received. I said this in the kingdom message. You don't receive your inheritance when you die. You receive your inheritance when the one who left it for you dies. When Jesus died on the cross, the inheritance of the saints was released to the people of God. And it's not stuff. It's him. That's why it says in uh, 2 Peter that we have been made partakers of the divine nature We've been made partakers of the divine nature. That means everything he is, we're a partaker of. But he died for us to qualify us. The second dimension of the revelation of the cross is that he died as us. A lot of people don't get to this one. But he took on the nature of Adam's sin. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He died as us. His death wasn't just a substitution. It was vicarious. He died as us. He became what we were so that we could become as he is. In the third dimension of the revelation of the cross is that we were crucified with Christ. That's that's where you want to get to the revelation that we were. Who I was in Adam was crucified with Christ. And the enemy's going about trying to believe, to make you believe. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I forgot the iPad. 
is him to make you believe you're still who you were once were. The apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that? We died with Christ. Let me see if I can find this verse. Because I want to read it to you in the passion. Look at this. My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life for me. Oh my goodness. What does understanding that I was crucified with Christ do? It causes me to no longer identify with who I was in Adam. Because in Adam we were cursed. Through one man's sin, or through one man, sin entered the world and death. So here's the good news. Jesus dealing with sin didn't just deal with sin. It dealt with death. What is death? Every effect that came to the condition of man through sin. I'm talking about sickness. I'm talking about disease. I'm talking about disorders. I'm talking about distorted images of God and distorted images of yourself that lock you into cycles of behavior that cause destruction and despair in your life. I'm telling you that every work of Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And I'm telling you today that the works of the devil are destroyed for the person who understands the three dimensions of the revelation of the cross. I was crucified with him and my old man no longer lives, but I was raised to new life and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Sickness can't abide in the new creation. Sickness can't abide in the new creation. Disorders can't hang on to a person who knows that they're a new creation. I remember when I was in the Creek County Jail, I was there arrested because of my drug addiction and destructive behaviors. And I'm telling you, I began to meditate on the fact that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And I stood up in that place and I said, no longer. I'm not a drunk. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not an addict. I'm not destined for destruction. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a son of Adam. I'm a son of God. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm free. I'm liberated. No longer can death hold me down. Why? Because my Savior as my representative died on the cross, rose again. And when he died, I died. When he rose, I rose. When he was seated at the right of hand of God, I was seated there in him. Mm, come on now. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you things I struggled for 20 years with fell off of my life. 
Why? Because of my religious devotion. I had no religious devotion. I couldn't go to church. I was in jail. (laughs) I only read one verse. (laughs) The person who preached tricked me. I'm eternally grateful that he did. And he said, read this verse over and over and over again until I see you. So that's what I did. Why? Because I made a decision to look at the image long enough. I said, I made a decision. I made a decision to stand before the image of the cross. I began to, to gaze at until I got fascinated with the revelation that it beheld and the mystery came alive to me and it made me into a new person. And the things that held me in their grasp for so long, suddenly the power of those were broken off of my life. Why? Because the guy who had done all those things and who was bound by those things, he died. He died. And I said, I'm a new creation. (laughs) My dad's back there. I'm going to tell it again. Sorry, dad. I called my dad up. I said, dad, I got saved. He said, boy, I hope so. (laughs) See, because men don't see as God sees. Men look on the outward appearance. But God looks on the heart. Lord, help me. I don't know how to get out of this. I went and visited somebody Thursday. They reached out to me. They had <clears throat> somebody I've known all my life. Don't go to church. They will. I'm believing they will now. <clears throat> they don't go to church. They said, I had surgery. Doctor just came in and told me it didn't go like we wanted it to go. Said, uh, <clears throat> The doctor said, this is the, I've done this for years. This is the worst case I've ever seen. I got in there. I couldn't clamp anything off. Every time I tried, it just fall apart. And it's not good. In fact, we didn't even think you were going to make it out of the surgery. <clears throat> so we just sat there and talked. And, you know, he acknowledged the fact that he had no basis to believe, you know, that God would do anything for him. In fact, he said, I've been wrong all my life. I said, this doesn't depend on your worthiness. I said, that's a good place to be because now we will totally put all of our trust in what Jesus did. And God loves you and he proved it by dying on the cross for you. And not only so that you could be forgiven, but that you could be forgiven and healed. 
And I said, God raised him from the dead. That's the proof that God accepted and that what he died for was accomplished. And I said, all we, you know, to, to be forgiven, all we do is confess Jesus is Lord because he is. It's just an acknowledgement of who he is. I'm not making promises to be perfect. I'm putting my trust in the one who is. He, I said, do you believe that? He said, Jesus is Lord, just weeping. We gathered hands and just declared the word over him. You know, he told me, he said, man, I just feel so much better. You know, just hope. I just have a different outlook now. <clears throat> and that night, man, he's blowing up my phone. I can't believe this. You know, I, just something's happened. You know, I'm, that was Thursday evening. He went home yesterday. He said, man, the, the nurses come in here and acknowledge the change that happened. You know, it was not, I mean, there is no power of our own. It's only in the name of Jesus and the anointing of God and the goodness of God and his love for everyone. I'm telling you that because anybody can receive. I mean, he said out of his own mouth, I know this was a miracle and I know I need the Lord in my everyday life. Now, as somebody who hasn't been understood the language of the Christian, plain, simple speech, I know this was a miracle, and I see the need for God, for the Lord in my everyday life. I'm telling you this morning as we close, <clears throat> whatever you need, listen, if you're not, if you've never confessed Jesus is Lord, he already did everything. His payment on the cross, in fact, your sins are already forgiven in the mind and the heart of God. The only reason you're not receiving the benefit of it is belief. So today, man, if that don't get, if what I've said this morning can't help you believe, then stay after, come up, we'll help you get there. But if you do, all you have to do is confess Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says that he will translate you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. And you know what? Then you have a covenant with God. And you're an heir to everything he is and everything that he has. I'm telling you, if there's anybody here this morning that you've never confessed Jesus is Lord, just by the upraised hand, just want to encourage you, take a step. It's what faith does. It gives you the confidence to take a step in that direction. Just by the upraised hand or come forward. We're going to have ministers up here. And then you qualify for a second gift which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness. Jesus baptized you in the Holy Spirit, which means the power of God will come upon you to not only be a partaker, but a participator in the ministry of Jesus on the earth. <clears throat> and if you have any need physically, mentally, emotionally, everything's covered.
come up. I, in fact, let's just bring the ministers up right now and the band, if you guys would come, please, please come because we're just going to kind of flow here for a second. <clears throat> I believe this is a faith-rich environment. You should know that right now there is nothing that could keep you from receiving from the Lord whatever it is you need. Because listen, there is no degree... On our end, we see certain things as harder than others. But with, is there, let me ask you a question. Is there anything too hard for God? <laughs> is there? The star breather? Is there anything too hard for God? My goodness, he created these bodies. Hallelujah. Just stand with us. Father God, we just give you praise this morning. I believe miracles are already happening. Father God, in the hearts of people. Hallelujah. We just rejoice in the light of the glory of Jesus Christ revealed through his finished work. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, if you're believing for anything, I just ask you this. Is there anything too hard for God? Come forward. Hallelujah. Lord, we give you praise. We thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Whatever you're struggling with, it may have convinced you that you're defeated. Oh, that's deception. You can never be defeated in Christ. You're victorious in Him. Awaken. Awaken, beloved. Awaken to the reality that you are a beloved son of God. Oh, and that it's His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Mm, Everything He is. Everything he has is available to you. It's your inheritance. Come and receive your inheritance. Come and receive your inheritance this morning. Man, listen, if you heard that you had a long lost uncle who left you a million dollars, you just need to come down and receive it. There's not one person here that if you believed that was true, who wouldn't go and receive your inheritance. I'm telling you this morning, it all belongs to you. If you're a believer in Jesus, it all belongs to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to your name. Just begin to worship Him as they pray. This is our part, this is how we participate. Exalt the name of the Lord, magnify him, worship him, declare to him his goodness. Come into agreement with those who've come forward in faith. Hallelujah. Father, we give you glory and praise. We honor you. We thank you, Lord, that these are already healed in the name of Jesus. They're healed in the name of Jesus. Awaken, O heart. 
awaken to the truth, to the reality, hallelujah, that as he is, so are you in this world. Oh, and if he who gave his only son did not spare his only son, but offered him up for us all, how will he not along with him freely, freely, freely give you all things, freely, (laughs) freely, glory, thank you, Lord, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, oh, we worship you today, God, thank you, Lord. of God. Behold the glory of God revealed in His goodness. Oh, hallelujah, that He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Behold the love of God revealed in the finished work of Jesus. Embrace it. Take it unto yourself. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. There's no one like you, Lord. None compared to you, Father God. None compared. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Give you glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've made us new.
to come into agreement with what he's declared. I'm blessed. I'm healed. Hallelujah. I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm delivered. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Begin to declare it out of your mouth. In the name of Jesus. Father God, and we are transformed into that same image from glory, from one degree of glory to another degree of glory by the Spirit of the living God. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Thank you, Jesus. 
You know, worship, the word for worship in the Greek begins with the prefix pros. Pros always means face to face. Intimacy with God is not a method of transformation. It is the method of transformation. Hallelujah. And more on that later. (laughs) More on that later. Listen, if you didn't come up and you're still sitting there going, man, I need to receive. Don't worry, we're not in a hurry. But we are gonna dismiss those who are ready to go or need to go. But if you are believing for something this morning, don't leave. Come receive your inheritance. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Have a blessed week. We'll see you Wednesday night. Don't miss Wednesday night. Hallelujah. Don't miss Wednesday night. God bless you. Come up and receive in Jesus' name. Amen.